Kosisikeleli Afrika Malupakamisu Pondolwayo Yizwane mitanda zohesu Kosi Sikelela Tina Luthapolwayo Motherfucker. <laughs> Dudes, how, how far were you going to let me go before you stopped me? Honestly. <laughs> You're going to let me get through the Isizulu, Isikosa, Isisutu Afrikaans and English verses of the South African National Anthem? Well, no, we, we just want to see how far you would get. <laughs> Curious, I was like, also trying to remember the... Um... Is Rob still going? Sorry, I was forgetting up the lyrics, but I'm not so good with the pronunciation in this verse. <laughs> Whoa! Hey, who are we? What are we doing? We're Africans, and we are celebrating. Episode 157 of G.I. Joburg, the podcast about G.I. Joe, but hosted by three South Africans, and therefore... <laughs> who are very excited and, and very scatterbrained right now, because we won I was gonna the Rugby say the, Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, we're the podcast from the country that has the best rugby team in the world. That's, that's who Hell we are. Hell yeah! <laughs> Go! Or at least the one that has most recently etched its name into the Webb Ellis Trophy for... Uh, Which we've done the third time. You guys didn't tell me... I said, I said you guys didn't tell me you were going to talk about the G.I. Joe vehicle, the bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> well played from Kujo. forgive us for jumping on this bandwagon man it's uh it's something that perhaps it's like this for every nation that uh is a major contender in a global sport but <laughs> i i can't help but feel like for a nation with such deep divisions like south africa and such a checkered past that a victory like this is a real nation builder. When the Springboks are winning, I think every South African is winning. every other South African's brother or sister. You know. Heck yeah. Dude. Yeah. So we are I'm all talking. engulfed in this kind of glow about uh, having just won the World Cup. It's um, I don't know. It's a real fairy tale. But should we perhaps uh, tell each other's stories? I mean, how did you guys take in the, the match this weekend? Robbie, you want to start us off? You were in Cape Town. Yeah, let's start with Oh, yeah. I'm in Cape Town. I work at, um, I think, quarter to 11. Because here, it, locally, it it, uh, it was uh, broadcast at 11 a.m. in the morning on our on SABC2, our national broadcaster, who were... Kindly enough, the um, private broadcaster Supersport, run by um, M- Mnet, Mweb, or whatever, multi-choice, multi-choice, was kind enough to allow the national broadcaster to show this historic event to everyone. Um, so I watched it on a very grainy broadcast. Um, I could still see what was going on. It was definitely a lot of fun. And afterwards, I, I went for a stroll to go watch watch a movie. And everyone was hooting. Everyone was having a fantastic time. Everyone was shouting and just really happy. Um, so Cape Town was definitely very excited about this match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I celebrated the, the the victory away from South Africa, which is mildly disappointing in and of itself, but very unique. I mean, when we hoisted the cup in '95, I'd just come from a family bry. We'd all nestled up uh, in front of the TV, and then you know when the final whistle was blown, you could just hear. 
car hooters erupting in the distance, like everyone oh, no, on the roads, fantastic. everyone, you know, in their backyards were just kind of elated. Then flash forward to 2007, I was actually working that evening, uh, so I missed the first half of the game, caught the second half, and our victory against England. <laughs> <laughs> and then I found myself sort of in the middle of the Cape Town CBD, where basically one end of the street was in a giant scrum against the other end. Like, people had just spilled <laughs> out onto the street, and they were just scrumming. Uh, which, for those of you who are not familiar with the game of rugby, it's basically like all the heaviest, slowest members of the team <laughs> basically locked head to head. Fuck each other for yeah. a couple of minutes. Oh, uh, yeah. Kick exactly. the ball around with their feet. Uh, yeah, no looks, ball was yeah. involved. We're just literally testing the strength of one end of Long Street against the other, locked in the scrum. <laughs> um, it was wonderful uh, for pickpockets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, my yeah. my Nokia got uh, filched from my pocket that night. Oh no! Fortunately, I'd parked pretty far things. from the center of town because let me tell you, any cars trying to move through that throng got bounced, yeah. got jumped on. I mean, it's disgusting behavior in retrospect, but uh, at the time, man, everyone was just drunk on victory and drunk on a lot of other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is Long Street, so... Yeah. But this time around, uh, being away from home, being in China, actually being in a company that is pretty much 50% South African and 50% British, <laughs> with a smattering wow. of Australians, uh, for good measure, just uh, uh, poke fun at. Stir the pot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, act sheepish, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> we managed to uh, get the game set up on a kind of a pirate stream. Ironically, it was NBC Sports, so we had American commentators. <laughs> Very intriguing to, to hear what they have to say about the game of rugby. <laughs> and we watched the stream between shows, basically. But by the second half, uh, the English supporters had um, decided that uh, they'd, they'd best get on with their show prep. So <laughs> they completely lost interest <laughs> in the game. Uh, so that room was entirely green. And I think the stream lagged on the moment when they had a close-up on the cup being engraved. Mm. So, like, it was before the final whistle, but, uh, you know, by that stage, it was it was evident that uh, England could not pull a victory out. So, <laughs> the, like, the screen was frozen on the Web Ellis Trophy and South Africa 2019. And, I mean, at that wow. moment, I think everyone just leapt to their feet and, like, I think I shouted, like, that's it, guys. That's it. We fucking won. <laughs> and um, everyone was just singing songs and going ballistic. In fact, and I am going to take credit for this, we finished our first show, the matinee performance, at approximately the same time the teams were singing their national anthems. So in the performance mm -hmm. of Matilda, there is a number in which everyone does, does bows. So we sing yeah. and, and perform through that number. And then there's a silent bow where we all run back onto stage and take a bow, indicate to the band, and then take another bow. And through mm. that silent bow, I started a very under-my-breath rendition of the national anthem, and it caught on. And by the time we marched hey. off stage to kind of dress down and, and head in to watch the match, everyone was singing full tilt, to the point where the stage manager had to come like backstage and say 
Shh, guys, the audience can still hear you. No, that's good. <laughs> of course, she's a Brit. <laughs> but yeah, no, we couldn't we couldn't get out of uh, hair and makeup and costumes quick enough. Um, Fast enough. Oh. So yeah, awesome, awesome story. How was yours, Paul? What was Joburg up to on that fine day? So uh, my buddy Kuni, uh, he he actually set up a bribe for the beginning of the World Cup and then for the final of the World Cup. So this uh, final was like we were all getting prepped for it and ready. And um, I said I was going to come a little bit later because I wanted to watch at least watch the first half with my dad. But I'm a little bit superstitious with rugby sometimes, especially because it's a final. So I was I was sort of I woke up nice and early and I'm sitting in my room and uh, I can hear like the anthems and everything going. And I'm like, OK, cool. I don't want to watch the kickoff because I'm always, I'm like superstitious. About, I'm like worried that if I watch the kickoff, then, you know, we're going to lose. So I'm like, da, 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 da. So I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there. And next thing I just hear my whole neighborhood erupts. Like people are like, yeah, but like you can hear it from like four or five different houses in my neighborhood. I'm like, cool. First try scored, got out of bed, went to go and sit down with my dad for a little bit. And watch the rugby. Um, and then, uh, then I got ready, uh, to go to, to Kuni's place. So I waited until half, half time. And then, because Kuni's uh, things tend to be like these big uh, drinking situations as well. I mean, we call him, you know, Captain Cuervo, you know, because of the the tequila, and we call it uh, call him that for good reason. So like, sort of in half time, we quickly stopped by at the McDonald's, and they had a TV at McDonald's. So I'm watching this. I'm watching the rugby at McDonald's, and the place was just full, and it was just full of people, like cheering. I mean, the, there's no sound in the TV, so everybody's like cheering <laughs> when stuff's going on. And then, uh, so we were like, okay, quickly, let's go. And that was halfway through the second half. Uh, we thought we would go quickly, and then at least we can watch the trophy being hoisted, or if everybody's crying, at least we can get there, arrive there during damage control. And uh, we had obviously won on my Uber trip, and it was quite sweet because the Uber driver had the game on in the car, like he was listening to to the match in the car, but he was uh, listening to to it in Corsa. Uh, so oh, he's nice. like, I'm so sorry, guys. I just want to listen to the game. I know it's in my language. I'm like, no, no, it's cool. It's just like, it's really cool that my Uber driver is like listening to the rugby. And that was awesome. And then we won. And you just saw all the cars. I mean, everybody just started hooting. Like, Nyeh! and flags came out. And people were like, woohoo. I'm a boca boca. Halala. These guys were losing their shit. And then we got into, and then even when we got into Kuni's neighborhood, you could just hear like, People like shouting and going, ah, because obviously there were like a good like eight or nine different like rugby parties happening in that neighborhood. And yeah, and, and it was just a, it was a really stunning moment to watch um, Colisi lift up that cup. It was when I mean, we all sat there in silence as he did it. And I mean, a lot of the guys, they choked up a little bit. It was, it was quite cool. It was awesome. Could you feel a palpable energy like absolutely every oh. household throughout the country was basically linked in kind of a communal celebration. Oh, definitely. It was like a graveyard in this country at first. I mean, there was no cars on the road, dude. There was nothing. Yeah. Like, there was no cars. I mean, this is Joburg on a Saturday morning. There's cars everywhere. Shops are busy. People are, no, not on Saturday morning. Everybody was rugby. I mean, at the, at the, the place that we stopped at, at the McDonald's, all those restaurants were just full of rugby people watching. Everybody was wearing their Springbok jersey. On the Friday before, they had like a book Friday thing. So everybody was wearing Springbok jerseys on the Friday before as well. There was a lot of like excitement and, you know, a, a little bit of trepidation. I mean, you know, South Africa is not always known as a humble country. But when it comes to, uh, to, to rugby and to how well the English squad had done in the previous weekend, 
think we were all being a little bit like modest. We were like, you know, the books just need to play their best rugby and we find everybody was just being very cool. <laughs> but yeah, there was this, there was a very palpable sort of excitement and, and uh, yeah, energy about this game. So it, it was awesome. Fantastic, and, man. And I'm sure, as our good buddy Jim indicated on Facebook, <laughs> the hangovers must have been pretty epic. Because oh, they since the, the kickoff was at 11 a.m. South African time, I mean, it was at 5 p.m. where I was. So there wasn't yeah. too much drinking time left to the day. <laughs> Whereas if you had started at 11 a.m. back in SA and we were celebrating a victory, boy, oh, boy, those yeah. parties must have lasted well into the next day and uh, people's livers were taking a knock. Everyone would be hungover today. <laughs> I'm just glad <laughs> yeah. they had castle lights. Indeed. That's what I'm saying. Oh, Castle Light's brilliant. I had three Castle Lights on, on Saturday, and it gives you a buzz, but you don't you don't feel a hangover yeah, after drinking. I think That's I had great. about six of the things, and then in between there were Springboks, which is a, a South African shooter, which is a mix of something we have uh, called Amarula. I'm sure our listeners Ooh. might have it in their, their countries. It's Amarula on top of peppermint liqueur. Oh. Hell we were just shooting those, those every time somebody was like, we're the best in the world, and then tequilas, and then spring box, and it was like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've, 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 we've waxed lyrical we've discussed rugby. quite a bit. I know, I, I always feel rather swing. self-conscious about talking sports on a podcast about toys, because I know when other podcasts in our ilk do it, I kind of zone out a bit, because I'm not a sportsman. But, as I said before, when your national team pulls off a victory like this, that's something else. Cooge, do you want to snap us out of this funk, out of this rugby talk, <laughs> out of this national pride nonsense? What's, what is uh, what's this going on in America? Rugby. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, you know what I can do? Hey, man, these players crash into one another, but they don't wear helmets. Okay. Yeah. Is it brave or is it stupid? Yeah, I don't want to get into the logistics. Uh, does America even have a team? Yes, you do. Yes, they do. Actually, mm. yeah, you do. Yeah. They don't go very far, up. but that's okay. Let's get some fact checkers on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm Canada has a team, cheat. dude. America's always cheating, you know. Um, <laughs> let's see. Cooge, you uh, you wanted to bring up a, a certain uh, feature film phenomenon uh, not too long ago. You still mm. got some talking points on Joker. Oh, this is the part where I'm just going to take my headphones off and then you guys just WhatsApp me when you're done talking. Okay, <laughs> then you don't have to tiptoe around me. Good man. Because I still have not seen this amazing film yet. And it's cool because oh. we just had Halloween as well, so we can talk about some movies later when I come back. Okay, I'll see you all now. Yeah. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Enjoy inking Jeez. your Jovember. Hell yeah. We'll get to that too. Um, I don't know. I, I can speak about it evasively if you haven't seen it. Um... But at least my thoughts, I have, you know, they do, and when I say they, I suppose I'm talking marketers, but they do market media through kind of social drama these days. And you can put as much weight behind it as you like. But uh, I think for the Joker, I thought that the movie blinked down the stretch. I, I felt like the movie would have hit the hardest for me if they would have ended it with him standing on that vehicle at the end. Because oh, yeah, uh, same. I feel like some test audiences were confused if he was the good guy or the bad guy. And so they had to add a scene where he hurts a, a lady at the very end that makes no sense. 
it's like against his ethical code almost. But uh, well, what about you, Rob? What'd you get out of it? I thought it was fantastic. I mean, definitely they did spin this film quite a, quite quite hard in in social medias and things in certain ways. Um, I suppose n- negatively or positively. But I mean, my experience was fantastic. It was just interesting to have this kind of I suppose almost like an origin story for the Joker. And um, I mean, they even managed to get in a little bit of the of Batman's origin story in there too, which I thought was pr- pretty small. fantastic. Got too small. It's too small, but the thing is, he didn't have to. He didn't have to make it too big, you know. It's it's just in there to be in there. So it didn't have to be like too crazy. But like it, it, this film had me laughing at the most inappropriate things. It was fantastic. <laughs> I think probably my favorite scene in the movie is um in the apartment when he just hears two ex colleagues come and visit. The, the guy who gives him the gun early in the movie and the uh, the, the little person, the uh, the midget. That was that is a fantastic scene. It's absolutely amazing. True. It was. <laughs> do you mind? Do you mind letting me out? <laughs> oh jeez, yeah, hardcore. Man. Oh, oh my goodness. But like, yeah, and it sometimes it just shocked me as well, especially that first when he's being attacked in in, in the train and he and he kills those three, um, I suppose, stockbrokers or whatever. That can, I didn't expect that at all. The guy gets shot, and then and then just all hell breaks loose. It was fantastic, um, beautiful movie, well shot. Um, yeah, it feels you just don't know what to feel about the Joker in the end. I think, which I think is great. I mean, you can't hold him up as a hero. No, no, not at all. You know, he's not a hero. But for the first time, I think, in ever, I've felt a swell of pity for the Joker. I felt sympathy for the Joker. You know. Yeah. He he's a deeply damaged individual, and it's sad. And he doesn't he doesn't know what to think, you know. Um, and it's not just him. It's 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 what they always come back to is that it's our childhoods that really inform who we become. I mean, you can't exclusively. I'm not saying you blame your parents or you praise your parents for what they did in your childhood, but definitely everything seems to come back to how you were raised. And his his upbringing was definitely messed up. However, Definitely. it did make me feel slightly embarrassed for having always so wholeheartedly embraced the Batmans and the Iron Mans of the world. You know, these mm. silver spoon bullies who take it upon themselves <laughs> to be they got you. the police they got you. <laughs> of the world. Uh, that, all of a sudden I was like, no, hell no. I more closely identify with someone like Joker who's on the outside, who represents yeah. the majority, you know, who represents us, the people, not these select few. It was a masterstroke to make Thomas Wayne the big bad of the piece. Hold on, guys. I got yeah. a banger. Welcome to yeah. G.I. Joburg, baby. <laughs> oh. And there are stylistic it. choices that I really applauded as well. This film... It made a fuck ton of money, so I I, mm. I shudder to think that they'll probably try and spin something else out of it, but it really shouldn't be. It should be left well alone, and it decided yeah. to set itself apart as early as the very first choice, the um, Warner Brothers logo. Mm. They didn't use the classic logo. They used the sort of what was it the 1970s with the the two lines and then the the sort of the, the dot. 
Yes, it was one of the much older logos. Yeah, it's fantastic. And like, there's a beginning and then the film ends with the end as well. No DC stamp. It wanted to set up a visual distinction that put it apart from, you know, the DCEU, even apart from the Richard Donner Superman, even apart from the Tim Burton Batman. You know, it mm. did not want to import any other continuity, which seems like an impossible task in this world of like, you know, shared universes and cinematic universes. It, it, it defied that, which is so fresh. I think that there was just so many stylistic choices that were just tasty. I loved period pieces. Mm. And I saw this on the back of seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, two films that are just set dressing eye candy. Such attention to detail in staying faithful to those periods. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, let me uh, let me go psych out on you for a second in the respect that uh, if you see something often enough, it becomes the way you frame it. You seem to have seen the uh, the wealthy versus the poor storyline. I think that that's uh, probably the truest vein in our world across the board, but. If you want to see how Mindbender works, how do, how do they get the fight off the rich people? Turn up the volume on the race war. I don't want to get real, but I'm going to leave it there. That's how you redirect. So I think, I think the Joker, uh, I think the Joker's heart is in the right place. Hmm. But also the thing is the Joker, he didn't mean for any of that stuff to start. You know, in the end, he's like, I'm not involved with any of this. It just, it's, I just want to be recognized for who I am, for having mm. done something, anything. Um, and yeah, it's all about it's all about perspective, is what he also says. You know, what something isn't funny to you is funny to me. Which is also, well, I mean, this last scene was unnecessary, but you know, he kind of gets a line off where like he's laughing at something, and then she asks him, "What's so funny?" And he's like, "You wouldn't get it. Mm. You wouldn't understand." That's such a deep thread, but I'm not sure we want to go down too far. Perhaps it's an evolving conversation we could continue uh, onwards into this G.I. Joe yeah, journey. Absolutely, when Paul is, uh, has seen it. But let's invite Paul back into the mix, because uh, you dropped uh, two tasty tasty words that I, I want to pick up on, Cooge. And that's Psych Out. Hey! Come back, Paul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the mix, Paulie, my man. We're talking definitive psych out, psych out, psych out, psych out, psych out, psych out. Speaking of, uh, just you know, because I have to add my two cents to a movie. Um, I wanted to watch <laughs> the thing, um, on on Halloween, and I couldn't find my Blu-ray copy of the thing. I was wondering if if, if any of you fine gentlemen perhaps have it. I don't know, I don't have a Blu-ray, so it can't be me. I think Cujo did. Okay. Yeah, no, Cujo, you know, he, could he be the thing? No, and um, also just something worth mentioning, uh, it's November 2019, and if anybody's a Blade Runner fan, and it's very easy to not to miss this if you are, but today is meant to be when it all goes down. Heck yeah. And uh, they could start hunting down for those Nexus 7 bodies. So, anyway... Cool. Definitive Psych Out, huh? Mmm. Very oh, yeah. few to choose from. In fact, Psych Out is in more sub-teams than not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Night Force, Tiger Force, and Supersonic Fighters. Heck yeah. Shows you how important his role is. This character just didn't seem to cut it uh, on his own. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to think of him. Recognize him. I know. Yeah. I think it's. I think he's just actually just a really important member of the team. Like he's very versatile, and they can and they, and his discipline sort of suits many um, sort of you know team structures. He's he's definitely needed. Psychological warfare is a thing, baby. Yeah, Mirage's gun is so hard to draw. I'm just saying. Carrying on. Okay, Paul, <laughs> wise guy. Yes. How do you play as psych out? You get your Joes out. Yeah. And we're picking figures and you get psych out yeah what's he doing he's got a pistol oh yeah i assume that uh you want to be a little bit more intellectual than just having him running around gunning people down with a pistol no no he's cool like you can take off his backpack or set up his like little box situation somewhere and you can have it beam out these like like these rays that create um confusion and stuff amongst your enemies so like all you know so then my Friends, Cobra troops are all like, oh, I don't know what hap- what's happening. What am I shooting at? Why am I seeing purple dinosaurs? You know, How do you shield your friendlies from that kind of mind weapon? Oh, you just make sure they're standing behind it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it occurred to me that sort of earpiece that he's got wrapped around his head. I'm talking about on the classic mm. sculpts, but then again, it could also be apparent on the uh, Supersonic Fighters version. We just don't see it under the helmet. That antenna is sort of a cancelling device mm. to stop him from, I don't know, self-inducing paranoia. Yeah, they have to get very literal with his abilities, I think. You know, I mean, psychological warfare, I think, is more like in, I suppose, Very interrogation rooms or in, or in the the way that you approach framing your enemy and kind of like how do you present them in, in media and other things. Mm, um, I, I can appreciate that. That's certainly in line with his file code. But I'm saying like yeah. in the immediate when you're playing with your action figures. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's difficult to be literal with his abilities. True, true, true. And somehow give him a specialty, you know, like in the field. I wonder yeah. how many kids with with Psychart sort of understood his powers, uh, his powers, understood his <laughs> uh, his uh, gear to be very audio based because that could be a, you know that could be another way of looking at it you know he could be using a sort of ultrasonic frequencies uh, to create a sort of phantom sounds so you know you've got a bunch of Cobra troops that are moving uh, through like all you know the Joes uh, are attacking a base or they're about to go and infiltrate a base. And yeah, exactly. You know, or just like a stampede, a sound like of a stampede of elephants, or you know, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. But that kind of stuff, you know. I fucked your sister. (laughs) (laughs) It was so good. I came back for. I came back for seconds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. Psychological warfare. I like the morale of an army Mm. is a huge, Mm. huge. You know, deciding factor, and I suppose that is Psychot's mo. But once again, yeah. just not making him the most immediately exciting figure to pick up when you're faced with black-clad ninjas wielding Uzis and figures that have jetpacks stra- strapped to their backs. Uh, Cooch, do you have a dog in the race, man? Who's Psychot to you? Just a counter to Mindbender? My definitive. Well, that was during uh, my heyday in Joe, so. I do remember the figure, and I'm sure this isn't lost on Larry Hama, but uh, 
you know, he's from Berkeley. They call that Berserkly. It's in San Francisco. Uh, you know about San Francisco, Hate and Ashbury. It's basically the jump off for every counterculture. And sadly, the city is somewhat devolved at this point. But um, I think uh, I think he represented kind of like a free thinker to me in my youth, but I didn't really understand it. And I definitely didn't uh, understand the file card till some years later. As far as play patterns, you know, they used to have those radar dishes that could pick up people talking like across rooms. Parabolic mic. I can see him in that in that kind of capacity, just mm-hmm. kind of like eavesdropping and then going, well, you might come across this, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I got out of it. Okay, so he's really just a... He's a chin scratcher, yeah. The kind of guy you want on the team, sort of the advisory team in a hostage situation. Well, that's all. If he picks up on what people are talking about, yeah, and he kind of uses that information, I suppose. Mm. I don't know. He's a really difficult guy to wrap your head around. He's probably also a good choice for a hostage negotiator. Mm. Yeah, I mean, before Bullhorn comes with his, uh, you know, some assembly required gun. (laughs) So do you guys want to get down to the nuts and bolts of which figure rocks your world? Well, I want to throw two things out quickly with Psych Out. I mean, just before we move on to that. And the first thing is, like, he's essentially messing with people's perception in a way. So in a lot of ways, he's kind of the crystal ball of G.I. Joe. And uh, mm. for me, I've, I kind of see those as uh, sort of foils for each other. They, they definitely um, can go head to head. You know, Crystal Ball is allegedly summoning powers from a more spiritual realm. He's got a more esoteric vibe going. And Psychard is using science and psychology as his weapons, as his tools to to help the Joes, you know, lead them to victory. So I, I kind of think Psychard is a cool character to have if your friend, for example, was one of the few people who bought a crystal ball or had a crystal ball as a kid, and he's using crystal ball to like confuse your Joes or put them into some kind of place. Psychard's like the the sort of blue mage, you know, he comes in and he dispels all of the, the confusion and and all that stuff. That's cool. Um, but Another two ways of looking at him, and this is quite creepy because the U.S. military does actually have this technology uh, where they use microwaves um, and they they sort of uh, bombard enemy targets with these microwaves. And it just completely takes that human being's will to move forward. Like it's 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 impossible. They just sort of just drop. And these microwaves, I mean, it does what microwaves do. It like it slowly starts to like boil the blood or you know, mess up some of the, you know, the liquids in our body and it just sort of messes with our brains. That could be another uh, side of Psychart's weaponry, you know, that it like sends off these like microwaves, these short range microwaves that just completely scramble people's uh, neurological process. Their whole nervous system just shuts down. They just kind of drop and they're like, I can't do anything. As much as they want to, they just can't. Uh, So that's pretty creepy. Sounds devastating. What's the weakness to such a weapon? I have no idea. I just know that apparently uh, it's not allowed to be used. Because <laughs> right. they wanted to use it's it like in Afghanistan. A, so, it's yeah. like a powerful Chemical. garden hose. It can get away from you. Start spraying mm. yourself with it. That's the drawback. Yeah. yeah, so that that's I mean that's another element to Psychart's to Psychart's weaponry. Did Larry Harmer was he aware of technology like this? Was was you know, was poor Tuckett? Um, Hasbro Paul Tuckett being told by Paul Tuckett military base that there were things like this that they were experimenting on. Who knows? But Psychart is here, <laughs> you know. Shall we talk toys, boys? Yes, let's talk Heck toys. Yeah. I recently got the Night Force version. 
Whoa. Chalk that Ooh. one up for new shit. No, he's your favourite. Well, it's hard not to like it. Psychart's original version is a bit of an oddball. I do feel <laughs> like the loud colours take away from what is a sublime sculpt. It really is. And mm-hmm. the Night Force version doesn't detract from the sublime sculpt in any way. Normally I kind of say that this kind of um, simplifying or removing the visual intrigue of the original in favor of a kind of a, a team-specific color palette is a bit of a, you know, like a soft option. It's never going to outdo the original. But this body, this body sculpt is so good. And the Night Force version is so excellent. I can't help but but find favor for it. It's still got the tampo, that like um, triangular patch on his arm. G.I. Joe's side division. And Sorry. the man does look good as a brunette. That shock of blonde hair, I don't know, it's incongruous. It looks like he might actually just have a fake head. <laughs> you know? <laughs> dyed his hair. <laughs> he wants to look younger. <laughs> well, I don't know what it is. Maybe it is a psychological thing, but like, you know, him having long hair and being a sort of more academic slanted Joe is one thing. But to have this like bleached blonde surfer mop, that's just too much. So, so you're, you're saying your favorite is Night Force? Uh, yeah, my favorite is now Night Force. What can I say, man? Alley vipers. <laughs> and have you noticed that the classic sculpts? Uh, Psychart has got, like, the coolest gloves. Yeah. <laughs> they are terrific. Um, but, uh, who's next up to bat? Paul, I'm gonna guess you're gonna go Tiger Force. Come on. Come on. You know, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, so, uh, I, okay, well, let's start it <laughs> off with this. A fun little bit of trivia now, um, now that I'm aware of Steven's new Night Force Psychart, is that G.I. Joburg collectively owns all of the Psycart, vintage Psycart variants, because Stephen has the uh, Stephen and I have the the standard one. He's got the Night Force mm-hmm. now. I've got the Tiger Force, and Stephen, I think Stephen or Rob has Psycart version three. So we actually have Steven. all of the vintage offerings of Psycart, which is pretty awesome actually yeah. if you think about it. Considering that Tiger Force is a European exclusive, which I gotta say is definitely my definitive uh, side card. And not because I think it's definitive per se, like, oh my word, you have to, you can only own one. It just really is my favorite version of the character. And um, I just, I, I actually think his Tiger Deco is done really well. I like it. It's complementary colors. He's blue pants. He's got those white sort of baseball sleeves, you know, that, um, that like undershirt sleeving, uh, which looks really cool on him, uh, which is sort of like absent in the original one to a degree. Um, but hey, we got him. We got like all of us have got it, and, and I dig it. <laughs> and he has black hair in this version. I mean, he has black hair. Yeah, exactly. The man is no uh, has has no shame. He's like he's all about different hair colors and whatever's you know uh, you know first for action figure hair color. White boots though. Yeah, those are a little bit camp. I'm I'm not gonna lie, but I like, like them on the toy. <laughs> he's wearing jeans. <laughs> Medical. I associate white boots with, like, the women that work in a, like, fishery. Oh, yeah. Basically, like, scaling fish and, like, you know, those kind of um, 
plastic white uh, and there's like reservoirs of of blood Mm. and guts and fish tails and stuff (laughs) (laughs) and there's always like like that kind of like very pale red sort of splash on those Mm. boots i don't know if anyone has that kind of association or it's just my my scarred brain and that's why seafood's never been a big hit for me but yeah Uh, that's, that's what i associate white boots with man and like guys, I'm gonna be a little bit controversial when I say this, but I don't really love the Sonic Fighters version of him because it wow. always looks like, to me, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to color other people's opinions here, but to me, it looks like Doctor Mind bent as a sidekick, you know, <laughs> Lord Dread. <laughs> Lord, yeah, yeah, Lord, yeah. It's just, I don't know. It just, it doesn't seem very psych out. Um, and there's something I'd like to say. Look. Actually, I mean, he's he's wearing a jumpsuit, and then he has like a you know, and that's it really. Yeah, it's all the same color. It's it's kind of boring looking. Like I don't hate the toy. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not like hating on it. I'm just saying, like within sort of the context of you know these other great psychot releases, this one's just not my favorite. Mm. I like his backpack though, which is also I suppose controversial. You're so weird. I am so weird. (laughs) You like the supersonic gigantor backpack. I like them because they, they, for me, they've always been like diorama pieces, which is why I like them. So I don't sort of see them as backpacks uh, that go into the field. I see them as like sort of fixed in place things. Mm. You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Except for, and it did come uh, with three accessory pieces that plugged into it, which I suppose yeah. enhances its playability. But still, it doesn't seem to have a display. It's just a kind of a reel-to-reel computer of some kind. It's yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a got a lot of radars. <laughs> yeah. mm. and, and and it looks like a sniffer. Cooch, I presume you weighed in with the uh, with the, the the version one, yeah. I'm leaning that way. I mean, like I said on the file card, he's kind of having a meta conversation. So you know, he's full of himself. The foppish blonde hair makes sense. I think maybe as an initiation to Night Force, they made him dye his hair, just kind of a prank or something. Uh, but. <laughs> I think Definitive has to be V1, just because he's he's in the headquarters. He's probably not riding on an armadillo or anything. I'll go V1. Right on, man. Which uh, leaves it in Rob's hands to either make this very interesting with a four-way split, <laughs> or Rob's going to jump on uh, one of our versions. Well, I mean, the I've really said version 3 is kind of boring looking. I mean, he's always the version that I mean we've had. I mean, he was... I think they re- well. He's the only version I ever remember playing with. Mm. Supersonic um, Fighters version for those of you guys scratching your heads. Yes, um, but he is very boring looking. Like the helmet is interesting, but it doesn't. Once you look at the original version of Psychot, you're like, how did how did he go from there to there? It makes no sense. Well, I mean, he got horribly scarred. Clearly. Oopsie. <laughs> I mean, he used to be so handsome. What warrants having this kind of like half-exposed face? You know, it does feel like he's got a cybernetic eyepiece. I don't know. That's what I get from that helmet. It's weird. He looks a little too much like Robo Joe. I mean, it's kind of... It's, he doesn't have maybe his own he is Robo Joe. Maybe he he's be. the guy that becomes Robo Joe, you know? Maybe. Maybe. Um, I mean, the the, new, the um, modern era actually did... They did really nice... The version they did of him is Ooh, also that, pretty good. That head sculpt is very cool. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. I quite tempted yeah, at Jocon. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, his head is a bit, it feels a bit out of scale with his body. I don't know, when I look at pictures of it. Yeah, Tiger Force is cool. 
but yeah, those white boots, Stephen, this put me completely off white boots. Now. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, yeah, I think I'm I'm, I'm probably going to swing towards Night Force. Um, the original is really cool, and I like psych- the psych- sci-fi colors, but they definitely came up with a much better looking version for Night Force. It's just like that's the version they should have done from the start. I mean, yeah, usually mm-hmm. muted colors, as Stephen said, is you know, kind of, it's like, oh, you're losing the um, personality of the character almost. You're making it all mm. the same, you know, big army. Um, but he's still unique because of the, that headset he's wearing. Um, mm. yeah, I quite like it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it when, when it eventually comes to Cape Town. <laughs> so, yeah, version two. And uh, before we wrap it up and, and everybody goes, yes, and the ultimate version is blah, 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 blah. I got to say that Psychart, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, Still has the face sculpt, which I think is the closest to Steve. I don't know hey. why. Every time I look at this figure, especially with his darker hair, on <laughs> a Psychart version two or Tiger Force, I definitely get a very strong. Hmm. This head sculpt looks like Steven vibe from it. I don't know why. I just do. So. Well, I'll keep growing my hair out, and uh, hopefully we can work on a cosplay at some stage. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, excellent. Just pull for some uh, Lobot uh, headgear. <laughs> Thank you. That's the name I was looking for. Lobot. That's uh, from nice. Bespin. Yeah. So. From Star Wars. For those people who have never watched Star Wars. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't want to be like that obvious and be like from Star Wars. <laughs> All right, boys. Next up on the agenda, if we can. Uh, Bolt the lid shut on Psych Out. Yep, Psych Out version 2 wins. Indeed. I tasked the boys with uh, picking a Joe and try and come up with a interesting and unique sport that that Joe would be a fan of. I think I'll get the ball rolling. Ha 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 ha. By <laughs> citing, citing that uh, in Lady J's debut comic book issue, which I think was 49. Anyway, it's the one where she's riding a motorcycle, firing a gun backwards at a truck occupied by a battle android trooper. And of course her tits are popping out, but that's besides the point. Also her <laughs> boobs for our younger listeners. <laughs> no, we don't censor ourselves on the podcast, my boy. No, that's true. That's true. But we, we'll keep it to a mild roar. I mean... Wow. No, dude, I'm just giving you shit, man. Like, I don't no, care. You love it. You love it. Love YouTube's it. another story. We'll keep it clean for the kiddies there. Um, <laughs> I hope you're not learning about this for the first time, dear parent of small child. <laughs> um, so, in that issue, Lady J has like a sort of striped helmet, which she seldom ever uses, if at all. And she is riding the Silver Mirage motorcycle. She is pulling off some evil Knievel shit in basically like a car um, wasteland, a dump, a um, tra- a scrapyard. A scrapyard? <laughs> yeah. She's like bouncing off the roof of cars, riding up structures, like up staircases into like control booths. And I just thought, well, hell, because she's such an excellent rider... She must take an interest in motocross mm. and like touring bike competitions and stuff. 
So I think that's my entry. Lady J with a big old motorbike. She's, you know, among many other things, a bit of a motorhead. Okay. I can see piston, that. A piston that. head. Let me uh, kick one off for Cobra then. I think uh, I've played some ball. I've been around some personalities. I think uh, a person that came to mind for me is somebody who has a problem betting on things. It's got to be Copperhead. Oh, yeah. Because I think uh, I can see him being maybe a downhill defensive end, like somebody that you don't you know you don't want on the blind side of your quarterback, and then maybe he blows out his knee, but he never gets away from the game. Hey guys, is uh, Kucha still speaking English? Yeah, I'm just <laughs> hearing chose the blowing knee. You chose, you chose the sports <laughs> subject, Stephen. Don't forget this. Yeah, but you know it's you, you can you can never get away from the. Uh, the bets, I suppose. So, I, I can see Copperhead being being a football fan, maybe a Carolina Panthers. Hmm. <laughs> nice. Oh, and on the on the subject of Copperhead, if anyone listening to this hasn't seen the race, check out the GI Joe YouTube channel. Oh yeah. Ooh, oh, yeah. some promotion. That's an amazing tale. <laughs> wow. Just showing some love, showing some love. So actually, Lady Day's first appearance is GI Joe 32. Yeah, February 1985. So if if it was her first appearance, where you saw her on a motorbike, it was probably that issue. Um, okay, so I I was looking through file cards and and one that screamed at me because I mean he, it's literally said in the file card, <laughs> downtown. He I mean it literally mentions baseball in his in in his uh in his file card, which, which I was like okay cool that, that that's an easy one. And he's pretty accurate with those kind of lobs. So I thought, okay, yeah, no, baseball would probably be, be pretty good. I mean, and the quote is, if downtown sets up his mortar in the parking lot of a ballpark and had a spotter sitting in bleachers, he could put a round on the second base bag within two attempts. <laughs> what an amateur. Like, he needs a spotter. <laughs> oh, actually, no, no, not no baseball, sorry. Basketball, basketball. Downtown yeah, I was about to say from downtown. High school basketball, yeah. basketball. yes. Okay, so not baseball but basketball, but it's but that's the funny thing that the, the file card kind of mixes these um you know the different Sport sports. Yeah. So that's why I was yeah. confused. I think Larry Harm was probably probably confused as well. <laughs> I imagine. So I think he'd probably be good at baseball at basketball because you know he kind of like lob those balls straight into the into the hoopy thing or whatever they do in basketball. <laughs> so he's like Foot Locker has got like a whole bunch of, uh, you know, like basketball stickers on. I mean, wh- where's downtown from again? Like, what's his hometown? Um, Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, so uh, Cleveland is... The Mistake by the Lake. <laughs> the Mistake by the Lake. Dude, you can't say Cincinnati. stuff like that. Um, no, I think... No, you you can say you can go downtown. <laughs> you can go downtown in in baseball as well. Like you could hit a home run. People go, oh, yeah, that Rob just went downtown. Hey, nice work, Rob. So do you think he's got like a whole bunch of like? You think he has a whole bunch of like Cavalier stickers on his like, on his footlocker? He's he's like sort of. He must. He must. He got to. He was like in college on a basketball. I mean, on a base on a basketball scholarship, and then basketball, the military yeah. drafted him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, cool. you can see I don't know much of us. <laughs> the issue we were scrambling for about Lady J 
when she's on the bike shooting at the bats yeah. is actually issue 44. It's Dr. Mindbender's uh, debut. I guess Lady J found her way into earlier issues, but in this one she's in command of a team of basically new Joes. Uh, heavy metal, uh, bazooka, airtight, crankcase. I think it's just those guys. Ah. Mm. So this is in, in the middle of the um, Cobra Civil War? No, no, no. 44 would be before the Civil War. This would be before the invasion of Springfield, in fact. This is just out in the oh, desert. Okay. Um, it's the debut of Dr. Mindbender, the battle android troopers as well, and Dr. Mindbender's uh, alter ego as Dr. Brainwave or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the creeper bombs that um, knock Joes out. <laughs> I mean, could you get a more contrived plot? It's hell of a fun. It's like... Those are from the cartoon, though. It's, uh, was it? Yeah, no, they're, they're not the creeper, the the vines, yeah. the sleeper, whatever, the gas, the uh, gas spores. Okay, okay. Oh, and she's literally on the cover as well, shooting at a at a, a bat in a truck, very Terminator, two, <laughs> very <laughs> cleavaged, TX. Oof, <laughs> damn. But we're not talking about dog fate, man. We closed the chapter on that last week. <laughs> Let me, but yeah, uh, so my, my choice is downtown. I went basketball. Let me clear just one thing up so we can yeah. curb the uh, hate mail. Mistake on the lake, the city of Cleveland. Somebody will have to explain that one to us someday. Yeah. Anyway, maybe. moving right along. <laughs> it's so, so fun to say. All right. It's a mistake on the lake. <laughs> I want to I visit Cleveland. So, so Paul. No, it's Paul. You, you're, you're the final. I thought we were waiting for Cooch. Oh, I'm the like, final Cooch guy. Is, okay. Cooch has done his his his, his entry. Copperhead, Stephen okay, Lady so J. Okay, like so like a GI Joe that I think is like totally a sports enthusiast is Captain yeah. Gridiron, yeah. Word. <laughs> Paul went route one. <laughs> I went route one. Hey guys, I could have gone with hardball. <laughs> The fridge. <laughs> or the fridge. Mm-hmm. Sergeant Slaughter. Actually, the one I would like to cite is is uh, Shipwreck. And I think uh, I think Shipwreck uh, definitely uh, checks out the sort of uh, international surfing competitions. What? Uh, you know. Yeah, I think he's a big fan of surfing, and uh, and also and and is very much a participant in windsurfing himself. And you'll see this on his uh, first appearance in the Sunbow tune. Um, he uh, rocks up in a, a cobbled together little wind raft that's going on the sand, and that's the kind of idea. You know, you can only have confidence to do something like that if you yourself have actually done some form of windsurfing or something like that before. And uh, so I think you know, shipwreck's a bit of an extreme sports enthusiast when it comes to you know to to hanging ten and whatever. Also, I mean, the guy grew up on shipyards and naval shipyards and. You know, he's a goof-off, so he is probably surfing all the time. You probably find him and rock and roll know each other, you know, from, mm-hmm. from back in the day, because they're probably locals. Interesting. Using the cartoon to to motivate your choice. Yeah, but yeah. I'd, I'd argue that that would push him more <laughs> into the realm of, like, being in, involved in professional yachting. Yeah, but something tells me that Shipwreck is just too cool for that. Like, he's a bit like, that's on the nose. Now, maybe that's why maybe that's why he's codenamed Shipwreck. Like, he can't actually, like, sail a boat for shit. Like yeah, I, don't, I don't see him boats. getting involved at yacht clubs. Yeah, he's he's too yeah, much of a rough guy for that. Reread his file card. It seems like he has 
worked on vessels both large and small. Mm. So I imagine he's, you know, a pretty competent seaman. He gets around. He's been in the Navy since he was, you know, too young to actually enlist. He's basically just yeah. been in the system the whole time. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that, that Shipwreck isn't a complete screw-up. He's just lazy. If there's an easy way of doing something, he will opt for that. Which probably means he's a genius. That's just how it is. Hell yeah. You know? Um, <laughs> no, I, I hear you on that fully. Uh, and, and, and I love Shipwreck. I mean, our listeners and you guys all know that I dig Shipwreck. So I don't want to really paint him in a negative light. And I... That's why I think he might be very much into like surf competitions. I think he he looks at them and he's like, oh okay, you know, this is cool. And you know, he's probably friends with like Kelly Slater and all of those guys. You know, he's he's down. You know, he, <laughs> right on. You man. Know? Yeah, I always like the idea of like, oh, just the irony that like a career navyman and he's not a great swimmer. <laughs> <laughs> That's his motivation to stay on, dude. He's he he hangs in like none other, man. <laughs> so, That's what Covergirl like that said. Ooh, ooh. But yeah, okay. If he's a professional surfer, then sweet. I guess he's a duck. going to delve now into a secondary topic. Hey, I'm full of them tonight. <laughs> this time, I tasked the boys with coming up with their favorite G.I. Joe or Cobra linguist that they'd like to shed some light on. Once again, I think I'm going to break the ice and say that while there are plenty of covert specialists in both G.I. Joe and Cobra, who have command of a multitude of languages. One of the standouts for me is a guy who's not celebrated as particularly covert operative at all. A guy who is as much of a grunt as grunt, at least on the surface. But the fact that he is conversant and fluent in a wide range of languages that are native to the Middle East make me think that there's more to this guy than even his file card gives away. I'm talking about none other than Ron Rudat. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, Ron Tardur. Uh, Dusty. Uh, I was I was going to say, wow, that's pretty cool. I was, mm-hmm. I was half expecting you to come up with Breaker, to be honest, but carry on this year about... All... I have done Breaker in the past, saying that uh, as far as an RTO is concerned, he's the guy you want over Dial Tone, because Dial Tone doesn't have the languages. Breaker does. Dial Tone's a fobbit. But when you come to Dusty, I just think this guy's a mystery. He's an enigma. His file card... It's 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 worded in such a way that it it kind of lulls you into thinking that he is far more basic a troop than he actually is. Mm. He also had a comic book debut in which he was portrayed as a one-man army. Dusty, in his home environment of the desert, is best left alone against you know a sort of a invading squad. At night, Mainframe and Rashid stay down while Dusty goes out and takes out an entire 
squad of of attackers. Yeah. This guy is scary, man. There's a lot more to him than meets the eye. He's not just some kind of, you know, like, true blue all-American boy kind of working his way up from the bottom of the military structure. The fact that he knows so many languages tells me he's been involved in Black Ops long Mm. before he joined G.I. Joe. You don't just fall out of a tree and you're fluent in Arabic and Hebrew, plus other... You know, desert languages that I can't even pronounce the name of. I think Dusty, I read a lot into him, man. And the yeah. fact that he also uses foreign weaponry. Did you realize uh, that not only is his classic gun, the FAMAS, but in his, French in his 1991 version, he's got another French gun, the MAT-49. Oh. What's with the predilection towards French weapons? True detective. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he could. Yeah, and that's that's actually very interesting. He could be like the European connection, you know, like. And then there's the question of his secondary military specialty: refrigeration and air conditioning maintenance. <laughs> yeah. It was something that was a done thing in GI Joe file cards to often give a very banal secondary specialty. Thanks, Hooded Code Commander, for tipping me onto this fact. You know, you'd have guys who were finance clerks or accountants or whatever. You know, like, they would almost be given a very day-to-day military, secondary military specialty. It's an anti-torture measure. Or perhaps to help them just fit into military structure. It's a Mm -hmm. cover story. It's not necessarily the best thing that you do, but it's it's a service that you can offer to act as as a cover story. To act as, you know, hide in plain sight. Oh, I'm just, I'm just a, a refrigerator technician employed by yeah. the army. Yeah. Or when you're, when you're quizzed, when you're like interrogated, you know, he can say, yeah, no, I was at this address and I was fixing up their freezer and whatever, you know, that, that whole kind of cover story setup thing. And Carry on, in sorry. the case of Dusty, <laughs> I really do read it as a cover story. Mm. I think there are a great number of many other things <laughs> that Dusty does and does very well. But as stated on his file card, it's refrigeration repair, man. Just to kind of, I suppose, throw people off and make you think, oh, he's just a grunt. Yeah. And he's in Tiger. And he's in Tiger Force. No, but like, that's like a thing. For me, like, I always feel like if you're in Tiger Force, there's got to be something special about you, not you, Bazooka. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's got to be something yourself, about buddy. you. Watch yourself, buddy. I'm going to find some love for Bazooka very soon. I suppose you've read the script to Bad Luck Lady Part 2. I haven't yet. I didn't know it was up. I thought you were still busy with it. Sorry. Let me, uh... I I I haven't looked since you wrapped it. Oh, well, that's one thing I have been doing, is I've been working on music for Bad Luck Lady, for Part (laughs) 2. Based on nothing. Steven, uh, you've just elevated Dusty for me, I'm just saying. Thank you. That, uh, That was awesome. So... Well, hold on, brother. I believe you've actually colored Dusty, or quicksand, if you will. Uh-huh. Um, no, I, I, I like that. Sandstorm? I think Dusty's... What's that? Sandstorm? He's mm. uh, other COVID Derude thing. Sandstorm? Uh, I believe I'm alluding to the black book, y'all. Oh. Oh. No, I, I think... Uh, 
I, I like I like meeting characters in their environment and seeing just how dangerous they are. Um, I think uh, for me, a linguist and yeah, another kind of low hanging fruit is the interrogator. You can kind of see that Bosch scene where the helmet comes off and the voice changes. That's kind of interesting. But I'll, I'll I'll keep with the black book motif. A little character called White Lightning. I love. Latin languages, romance languages. Gee. So I like that character, you know. Uh, when people get, like, scared or excited, they break to their native tongue a lot of the times. And uh, I, th I think, yeah, Spanish sounds good. What do you think, Rob? I think Spanish is a beautiful language. Mm, Absolutely sure. amazing. Um, <clears throat> so for my, my choice for a, 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 a language specialist, it's, it's probably... Unexpected because it, I mean, there's nothing on the file card that actually mentions languages, but it's the way that they insert that for me suggests that they must be able to speak multiple languages and they they can't just be used for kind of like scaring troops from above. And I'm referring to Targat. I think Ooh. you don't waste that tech, that sort of technology just to kind of insert um, guys to kind of rain from above and kill your your enemies. I mean, yes, you can't underplay the psychological impact you know, of, of people coming from above and killing you as a human meteor. But I think using that same technology, you can insert sleeper agents, you can insert people into countries where, you know, in unexpected ways, and they have to be able to speak multiple languages to be able to to kind of job. integrate into those societies correctly. So I think targets or trans-atmospheric rapid global assault troopers, <gasps> they're a lot more useful <laughs> than just, um, you know, kind of like attacking people. You can insert these people anywhere in the world, and they can do spy missions like no other no other agents of, of either team, really. Hmm. By extension, I suppose all of Destro's forces are yeah, most sure. likely more multilingual than, than not. You know, they're concluding yeah. weapons deals with all of the nations of the world. Yeah, across the entire planet. I mean, and this is how he makes deals without, you know, with before anyone else does, because he can get his troops, his agents in where no one else can. You know, he gets into those um, those isolated, um, I suppose, terror groups or, you know, groups in, in Africa or in the deepest, uh, I suppose, somewhere in Eastern Europe or in, in, in the Middle East. And he kind of just plies his trades and he makes all that money before anyone else can, because <laughs> he can hit those people first. So that's my choice. I was originally going to have Scarlet because but Scarlet to me felt like a really obvious choice. Mm. What language does she speak? Well, I mean, well, she's counterintelligence. So it's counterintelligence. So I mean, she could speak any language really, if, if you can kind of finesse that into being anything really. And her secondary specialty is classified, so I mean, that could be anything. So I thought Scarlet was too easy, so I went for Target. Yeah, oh, I thought yeah. Target was a good choice. Some argue that uh, that they did reveal her secondary military specialty as being a pilot when they released a Glenda action figure, uh, sort of ah. pilot Scarlet. But I mean, I I also I think that's a bit of a a cheap cover story as well. It's a, you know, it's a you, yeah. Why why would it be classified if it's something as banal? Let as, me retcon you know. a counter there. That's one mm -hmm. instance when white boots do work. <laughs> hey. Mm -hmm. hey. <laughs> Aren't they silver, Cooge? Sorry. <laughs> They're white. Give it to me, man. Oh, man, my toy is in... <laughs> my my spot is on the shelf, so I haven't got it with me. I can't check right now. Oh. Ooh, ooh. But I think they actually That's... are white. If, um... Heck yeah. yeah. Scarlet wins. Ooh. Every time. Scarlet. 
wins. But it's also interesting, Stephen, you bringing up what um, uh, ACC mentioned about how secondary specialties are kind of like a cover for for things. I mean, they got a lot smarter with those later on in the line. Um, if you think about the original Joes as being classified or, you know, like top secret. I mean, he, they got a lot more creative in inventing. Like, oh, he's, he, he does refrigeration. He does, um, I don't know. Well, it all think... kind of springs from the old uh, chaplain's assistant motor pool. There we yeah. go. The Joe's yeah. cover story was extremely low-tech and low-key. <laughs> you know, just servicing the vehicle that the army chaplains get driven around in. Very, yeah, very but it's kind of cool that, I mean, officially at least, at least on their file cards, like if, if people were to look them up, I suppose, in a way, their specialties would be on there. It wouldn't be like Scarlet wouldn't be classified would be something else you know um, kitchen lady or <laughs> something oh like that. and i stand corrected kujo congratulations her boot covers are indeed white hell yeah that's on the modern figure and then Fantastic. on the uh, on the original uh glenda action figure glenda. she's chromed on her chest but yes her boots are white uh, yeah america won one today that uh, sort of very Dallas-style cowgirl sort of aesthetic yeah. of that outfit. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's a beautiful outfit. If I can say, if I if I can say that. <laughs> um, if you can say cowgirls is cool. Cowgirls are awesome, my dude. Oh, my dude. <laughs> Holy I suppose that just leaves me. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. stalker. Mine's gonna, mine's gonna be quite hokey. <laughs> no, no, it's not stalker. Should we guess? Should we guess? Should we guess? Because Stalker, I mean, guess. he was a language expert, but also he spoke a bit of Do you jive. Speak jive turkey? Yeah, it's a bit of jive, y'all. He spoke a bit of jive in his first couple of comic book appearances. It's uh, very out of character, but uh, I'll never forget it. Telly Vipers. Ooh, um, Telly Vipers is Rob's guess. Cooge, you got a guess? Um, no. Baroness. Shipwreck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can say, hey. <laughs> Wanna? <laughs> no, I think Shipwreck probably speaks Spanish as well. Hector Delgado. Delgado. He's from yeah. San Diego. Oh, come on, guys. Anyways, too easy. Um, He's like, hey, yo, do you know how to say hello in Spanish? And they look at him, they're like, oh, how do you say hello in Spanish? He's like, hello. It is I. sure he's Hector. had a couple of Coronas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, that works. That trick has worked for me. Although I use French. Hell yeah. I don't know how to say hello in French. And girls look at and girls look at you and be like, Yeah, it's bonjour and you're like, No, it's not, it's hello. This man is cultured. <laughs> and then they laugh. Una cerveza, por favor? <laughs> yeah, no, we don't go that far. Put us out of our misery, Paul. <laughs> anyway. Uh Spirit. It's a bit Hell of an esoteric yeah. choice. And interestingly mm. enough, Spirit also has a placeholder secondary speciality of being the social worker in the team. Which uh, is interesting because who is he going to do social work for in in the in a in the team? It's like you can't really do that. You can't have somebody who's operational doing social work for the same people that are in a unit. That just seems unethical. Cover story. Uh, yeah, so it's yeah. very much a cover story. So I think uh, I think he's also got a um, quite a history of languages. But here's the thing. Code talker. I don't think spirits linguistics uh, come from a place of um, of like, oh, you can speak Spanish and whatever. Uh, like Stephen just said, now code talking. I think uh, I think spirit is one of those people who is designed for coding and creating and creating ciphers and creating 
you know, all kinds of different types of measure, measures of communication or coded communication. And the one thing that like supports this, I mean, that's not in the file card. And so take it how you want to folks, but uh, in the hearts and minds, GI Joe graphic novel, where they did these like little sort of short stories, they allude to the fact that spirit is quite um, OCD. Uh, and that's what one of the reasons he's like such a great tracker is that uh, he actually doesn't miss minor details. He's got um, he's just got he's got a compulsive sort of thing with detail, and uh, I think that extends to him with languages and codes and and uh, being able to break that kind of stuff. You know, definitely. And um, some would even call that a language. And this is where it gets esoteric again. But spirit speaks the language of nature, and. I know it sounds hokey, but actually, if you've ever dealt with a tracker before in your life, they do have a bit of a quality to them where they, they can't quite explain why they know what they know. Like, they just know that, oh, there's going to be tracks there. And, oh, they know that somebody's been through here. They can just, they just feel it. And that in itself, I think, is a kind of a language. It's kind of a linguistic element in, its, uh, in itself. So, yeah, so spirit would be my um, super weird linguistic choice for, for tonight. Today. We can't not mention the good old uh, Wind Talkers film, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, the Code Talkers. Yeah, oh, yeah, they're the called Code Talkers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You had to do so, it. The, yeah, the use of Navajo Indians as uh, a sort of a code that uh, I suppose the Germans and uh, Japanese couldn't crack yeah. because they had nothing like it. Um, exactly. You know, indigenous to their their parts of the world. I just want to actually salute you guys because. I thought I was going left field by nominating Dusty, but we've heard White Lightning, Spirit, <laughs> and yeah. Target. Yeah, that was, I love that. <laughs> we were coming out of left field, my friend. We were thinking outside the box tonight. <laughs> incredible, incredible. Boys, I'm proud. Yeah. Hoorah. <laughs> and stuff. Hoorah. Um, Speaking of guys, sorry, just with these uh, like these sort of weird placeholder military specialties, specialities. Uh, I wonder if Hasbro just originally put them there because they didn't want GI Joe to be perceived as like a oh they just shoot people, you know, you know. So it's like it was like another sales angle. So like maybe at the time, you know, there was a, a bit of a social awareness where they were like, uh, well, if we don't make this person an accountant and this person a refrigeration specialist and whatever. People are going to think that they're just like cold-blooded killers and, you know, that that's what the military is, blah, blah, blah. Maybe we should so, ask Larry. should, actually. That would be very interesting. The very same Larry Harmer who just shared <laughs> one of our YouTube videos on his page. Oh, so cool. It's a good time to be alive. <laughs> Thanks, you Larry. You did a better job socialing that than I did, actually. Just in passing, I like the spirit pick. Uh, if you ever get the opportunity, probably the mm -hmm. coolest version of a hard-boiled spirit would be uh, Fargo season two. That Ooh, I think I know who you're talking so about. Good. Yes. So good. I'll get there eventually, my dudes. My dudes. I, I just need to finish uh, She-Ra season two and three, then I can watch that. She-Ra's pretty good, eh? Animation-wise, not so much, but... I love I the mean, background. Interesting also. character designs. Yeah, no, background aren't gorgeous. Uh, character designs are interesting. Are we talking about the classic She-Ra? No, the no the, they've done a remake, yeah, and it's actually very good. I actually love the classic Shira. As do I. I think it's superior to um, Masters of the Universe. Thank you. I'm glad that I'm not the only one that feels that way. Oh, Same. We're losing people. <laughs> e oh. Well, so, yeah. like, look, 
Master of the Universe got a story. Sets, sets a bit of a low bar in that respect. I mean, Shiro mm. improves upon it by <laughs> turning it into the, the evil empire kind of story trope. The original series series was great because, I mean, they were like a rebellion against, you know, the evil empire. I mean, mm. the new series is not so much like that, but, oh, okay. but yeah, they take their own take on it and they have their own mythology, um, which is interesting. But the animation in general, to me, hasn't been terribly good. And also the first season was kind of boring, but I feel like it's getting better. The first season was like very established based. It's like, let's establish this, let's establish that. They were obviously very like sort of secure in the fact that they were allowed to do that. Like, I think, I think they actually had cooked up. I think Netflix was like, okay, we'll buy 60 episodes or whatever it is. So go nuts, (laughs) you know? So, you know, whereas like Castlevania, for example, had to prove itself and then Castlevania proved itself to be like, like one of the best uh, series put on Netflix. It did so well. It had something like over 1.5 million views in the first uh, day. And, you know, I think Netflix was like, oh, so this Castlevania thing is not just niche. <laughs> so that was pretty All cool. Right, dude, people fucking love Castlevania. Oh, me too. I feel like we've been all over the place tonight, guys. We've talked sports. Mm. We've talked uh, esoteric magic languages. We've talked uh, <laughs> psyching out our enemies. We've talked She-Ra. We've talked... Joker sure. a little bit. We're gonna talk about it more once we've all seen it. I think we can go into a real in-depth I'd love talk to. about Joker. Um, I'm sorry about that, guys. You know that's not my thing. I don't know. No, dude, balls. don't worry about it, my dude. No, there's no dropping balls, man. Um, you know, keep your balls where they need to be. Um, <laughs> In your court, my boy. In your court. Hey, guys, on the way out, I've shared an attachment to each of you. Word. A comic book panel. Wouldn't you Ooh. mind passing your eye over it? It's in the WhatsApp group. Oh, switch my so. phone on. Well, while yeah. we're talking about phones, <laughs> is there anything anything incredible social media wise happening this month, guys? I heard something about Joe Vember. Yeah, Joe Vember has kicked into full swing. Guys are starting to participate. It's awesome. I've already, as of the recording of this podcast, I've got two out with my third one that I've been busy with now doing the podcast. Um, I'm going to reveal who that is now because I'll have the artwork out before the podcast is out. That's not a race, Stephen. Challenge accepted. <laughs> um, well, it's a lot easier, I suppose. Hey? But it is Mirage, as requested. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, like, yeah, so I'm doing Mirage. Why? Because it was the one of the standout requests. It's a 90s character, which I was hoping I would get. Uh, and it's Mirage, who happens to just be my favorite Mega Marine. So... Fantastic. That's pretty cool. I'm glad someone suggested it, dude. Um, yeah, I'm me too. Seeing so. it. But there have been some very cool suggestions, actually. And I'm like, yeah. And I would like to make these available as prints, maybe for a limited time on my very, like on Teespring, and maybe see if there's another site that I can do that maybe does prints exclusively, like drop printing, so that some Heck of yeah. our fans and listeners can get some of these. I've also been requested, I've had a, a one or two uh, commission requests as well. Which has been pretty cool. So this has been like a great venture for me. Uh, but more than anything, it's- how does it work, buddy? Do people just approach you during November, or is there a list, a master list of like things that people want to see? Well, here's the thing. The first time they did it, they did do a a, a list, a, a prompt list, and um, there didn't seem to be one for 2019 because it was just, like the only prompt list I could find was the one from last year. Um, and so I figured, well, I'm not going to copy that um, because. 
sometimes that gets a bit like stifling. Like I get it. I, the whole point of this is to sort of get out of your comfort zone a little bit, draw characters that maybe you wouldn't have drawn. And that is why I'm asking people for suggestions because people have actually been pretty cool with their suggestions. They've been giving me stuff that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, I was curious if you would do. Well, I, I want to say it out loud, but Whatever. for November thirteenth, November thirteenth. Yeah. Uh, I I would request a black book version of the Desert Scorpion. Okay. Cool. Whoa. Let me see. Here we go. Pin that in, my dude. We can right. do that. Um, but I'm gonna go black book version. Yeah. Okay. I'll do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A bond in blood. Yeah. <laughs> Jovember, my guys, Buck and Dustin, fantastic work. <laughs> Dustin had oh, I love his stuff. the most incredible Cobra Commander riding a Velociraptor. What? That's and a, so cool. a Destro riding a Triceratops. Riding a trike. Like a, yeah. like a, <laughs> a very diminutive uh, baby Triceratops. And Buck, awesome work on that modern hiss. It's, it's staggering to see the kind of talent that exists in this community i mean you you know a guy for their social presence but then they show you that they have autistic ability and you're like well shit i missed a trick when i was growing up because (laughs) my doodlings are nowhere near that kind of level of proficiency so i'm impressed learning new things about you guys all the time keep it coming Mm. so on the way out i've got a quick fire topic for the guys and everyone else out there, uh, this is something that started to bug me with increasing regularity in G.I. Joe mythology. So I shared a screen grab from issue 22, uh, which is entitled, Like Chimney Sweepers Come to Dust. The panel in question... It's, it's the page where, where Baroness is um, being wheeled to a specialist, and she's about to get help. With her condition after her Lamborghini accident. Yes, the Bern Bern Institute of Reconstructive Surgery in Switzerland. Uh, yes. That's B-E-R-N, as in the capital of Switzerland. I think it's a pun. This is after Baroness is horribly disfigured uh, in a kind of a hiss tank incident, which was actually caused by Major Blood. Ha ha ha. So he's wheeling her into this... Uh, Cosmetic Surgery Institute. And in the final panel, after the introduction to Dr. Hunt Kinder, the uh, plastic (laughs) plastic surgeon, Major Blood stammers and says, May I present the Baroness... dot dot... um... dot dot dot... de Cobre. Yeah. And Hunt Kinder says... Baroness de Cobre, I'm not familiar with the title. To which Blood says, I thought we were being discreet. And Hunt Kinder says, we discussed the price of surgery, discretion is extra. And the Baroness, through her mummified bandaging, says, pay the swine. So, guys, and the G.I. Joe public at large, how do you read that situation? In that situation, is is Major Blood confessing her true name to Dr. Hunt Kinder? Is he giving Dr. Hunt Kinder an alias? Or is he actually scrambling for something 
you know, rather arbitrarily, just to kind of give, like, he doesn't want to give away the Baroness's name or the fact that she's an operative cobra. Uh, let me not actually plant that seed just yet. Let me not give you, <laughs> put an answer in your mouths. Just straw poll, going around the room. Kujo, you, let's do this alphabetical. It's probably the most fair. How do you read that situation, bud? That's, I don't know, brother. My cold read is that, uh, that he's not a person who speaks with a lot of confidence, so maybe he couldn't find anything creative. <laughs> I don't know. What, what do you, what do you think? Don't ask me, man. I'll, I'll back bookend this. Uh, let's <laughs> move on to Rob. Oh no, Paul. Right. Let's move on to Paul. Yeah, let's do Paul. I think, um, I don't think her name is De Cabret at all. I think he just made that up. And, uh, I think he's trying to cover up who she really is because I think he knows who he, who she really is. And I think who she really is is actually maybe quite well known, especially in that area of the world. So I think he's trying to be sort of discreet, you know, maybe maybe her name, not so much her face. So like, but then again, her face has been disfigured. So it's easy for, for him to sort of cover it up. Um, that's That's how I read it. I read it as like, that's not her real name. So he's just giving an alias. He's just using that as a as a thing but then yeah, it does get confusing because then it's all about discretion so then maybe the decobray name really has something but my first read my first gut instinct is oh no decobray is like or decobre is uh more of a an alias it's just something that shouldn't that he just made up on the spot poet that he is <laughs> so. would you concur rob <laughs> I think, well, I think he just, yeah, in the, in the moment, he just wasn't ready to answer. So he, I don't think he knows the name necessarily. He kind of just made it up in, on the spot. He's mm. like, uh, the Cobra, you know, from Baroness of the, the Cobra Forces, <laughs> essentially. So the reason this gets my rankles up is because this is the first instance, chronologically, where that name, that appellation has come up. Baroness de Cobre. Mm. But subsequent but. to this, you know, in the sort of the, the bio published in Marvel Comics some years later, I think it was in the 90s, she is listed as having the file name Anastasia de Cobre. Mm. Do you take that to mean that's her real name or that's an alias? And if it is an alias, did it spring up in this arbitrary instance? She was named sort of off the cuff by Major Blood as, or introduced as De Cobre. They filled their, you know, medical records out under the name Anastasia. And from that moment onwards, this alias, this persona was born. Mm. Or do you think her real name is Anastasia? I think it's probably yeah. like a name drop. Like it's maybe like a corporate moniker or something. Oh, you're well, with the it's... Cobras. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fascinating that we all have different takes on this. And this is definitely something interesting you've brought up, Steve. But you know, people online will correct you if you say something slightly, you know, um, more vague. Like nobody really knows what the Baroness's real name is. And they'll shoot back with, uh, it's Anastasia de Cobre, just like, you should Google it, bro. <laughs> and I'll fire well, back saying, you can't say that for sure? Just because yeah. Joe Media has adopted this as her file name, mm. it doesn't necessarily stop it from still being an alias. 
Mm. I agree with that. Well, this is really, I I hope this brings up a lot of interesting discussions. I just wanted to shed light on the fact that its origin is an arbitrary moment of just scramble from Major Blood. Well, that's Mm. what it feels like to me. He's just like, he's like, uh, uh, the Cobra? The Cobra? Yeah. (laughs) Will you buy that? There's not much legitimacy to that as an alias even at that point. It's literally yeah. just the first thing that you know came off the top of his head, and being, as you say, Paul, a, a, a poet and having a bit of a more of a lyrical um, sense with wordplay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he made it a pun on Cobra. Yeah. Yeah, because that's like that's his forte. So he would sort of lean on something like that, you know. And also, like, the, I don't know, it's just like with, with the kind of media that we have today, you know, in the form of. Um, you know, there was that uh, series that they did, that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it was the set in, in the past with Becky Carter. Um, I keep wanting to call her Becky Carter, but with Agent Carter. There we go, Agent Carter. Um, the, Peggy. Whole, the whole Peggy Carter, thank you. I don't know why I can't remember that because I love that woman. Anyway, the origins of the um, Black Widow program are sort of revealed in that series. Even in there, like they're training these, these women to sort of also be very classy, you know, very like... Um, they can sort of uh, insinuate themselves into sort of elite culture very easily. And what do they call it? Finishing school. Yes. And uh-huh. I wouldn't be surprised if the Baroness belonged to something like that as well. And that is why, uh, not not that she was brainwashed, it's just that, you know, we do know that maybe she was involved in terrorism and, and all that kind of stuff and blah, blah, blah. It's like we have stuff like that in media. And that's why I think it's, like, it's weird that people just want to rely on, like, the internet, on Google, you know, and not, like, really think for themselves. To me, you know, that's the that's the beauty of something like G.I. Joe. It does have a lot of that. And, and even if we're just drawing st- uh, straws, we are, in, in fact, embellishing the mythology more, which makes us enjoy it for ourselves even more. So I don't know why people just want to have this, like, stopgap of it is Anastasia de Cobre. You know, I'm like, I'm like, I really hope it's not, because that's a really lame name. And it's also <laughs> really coincidental. No offense. I mean, like, I think it's a great idea to call it that, for Major Blood, but I just think it's a lame name. It's like, it's very on the nose. That's like calling, it's like, Cobra Commander's real name is like John Snake. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Tony Scales. Well, I guess I just want to, in closing, just say, question everything. Uh, what you <laughs> think you know ain't necessarily fact. Especially when it comes to Cobra. Even if it's printed in the hallowed halls of the Marvel, the classic Marvel comics, even if they're words from Larry Hammer's mouth, always take it with a pinch of salt. He uh, is a wry uh, man, a very, very, very incredibly intellectual man, and he'll yeah. always build himself a back door. Absolutely. Let's all get to that back door, guys. i'm gonna love and leave you once again boys thanks for the cool chats um you know i play with my action figures in lieu of what i really want to be doing which is playing with y'all oh love for you there Cheers, guys. It's been fun. Cheers, dude. Later, dude. Later.